Hi, my name is Mark and welcome to The Active Listener, where we aim to listen, not just hear. We firmly believe that everyone has an interesting story to tell, if given the space to do so. So listening to what our guests have to say, you may learn something. Hello, Mark, and uh, thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, I'm John James. I'm the uh, chief executive of the Sickle Cell Society, uh, which is a national charity of probably about uh, 43 years standing. uh, And I've been its chief executive for the last eight years. Thanks, John. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? Um, So let's roll back, Mark, to uh, my uh, career briefly, Uh, a a very quick canter through um, the background. My mother was a nurse. My father was a tailor. I have uh, an uncle who sadly died recently, who... um, uh, tried to get into medical school in uh, in in the late fifties, wasn't able to, uh, but luckily got into Howard University, which is a black university in um, uh, Washington, and became a doctor. The relevance of all of that is, uh, as I was growing up, um, health uh, was um, an important uh, factor in the household. Uh, and uh, both my parents used to say, oh, well, you know, look at Uncle Rupert. That was his name. Um, uh, look at Uncle Rupert. You should aspire to be a doctor, John. That's what you should do. Uncle Rupert can do it. Uh, you can do it. Uh, so in all those uh, years, um, there was very much um, uh, driven by my parents wanted me to succeed and do the best uh, uh, I could. I had the opportunity to uh, join uh, uh, a sort of local management training scheme and join the NHS. I was kind of shocked about um, the management of the NHS and how people were treated. I was treated particularly badly because um, uh, in, in, in the early days and had challenges later on. So when I got into the scheme, um uh i was supposed to be working in finance for for example it was supposed to be a finance department uh but i was later told that the reason i uh i didn't start in finance was the uh, finance director made it absolutely clear that there were no black people to be um allowed in his department so i was uh, offloaded to some other uh, department and i was told that um some years later i didn't know that i was on some you know some administrative error uh, yeah. and i'd have to go to uh, some uh, uh, other other department but i was told that by um a very senior person who was involved with the scheme and involved in uh, the allocation process and uh, and so forth so i spent my career in the nhs man and boy and i have to say i've been very privileged to have had a um Uh, a good career in the NHS. You know, one of the things that drove me was quality of management in supporting uh, people, whether they were black, white, male, female, whatever, um, was exceedingly poor. The culture um, uh, was pretty clubby and um, pretty incestuous. Um, And, um, you know, I was determined then. I said, well, look, you know, know, I'm sure I could do uh, better than this. So I was driven to want to succeed in in, in, in the NHS by virtue of wanting to make a difference, wanting to help develop and um, grow people so that we could provide better services and be more uh, accessible. So that's where I spent my career. And um, as I say, I've been privileged. I was lucky to climb up the greasy uh, pole. I've done over four chief executive jobs in the NHS. It was never easy. And, And one of the interesting things that I look back on now, the, but my lens was um, uh, very much about um, thinking how 
you know, as a collective, we improve things for the people of the local area, whether I was in hospital or commissioning services. Finding that, you know, some of my peers, they might be in a pretty inner city area, but but actually were colourblind to um, uh, the sorts of issues um, and needs of um, uh, communities in those areas. And that's where Sickle comes in, because um, I've always known about uh, Sickle Cell for uh, various reasons. But I remember in one organization where I was a chief executive I prioritized it was an area um, that needed um, um, NHS sickle services some of the neighboring boroughs had some but this borough didn't and I um, made sure that service was commissioned and I remember talking to my peers about it one time and somebody said but John ministers are not interested in that they're only interested in the money um, I you know financial bottom line and they're only interested in A&E and the, and the performance target so you know so, so I think that was very telling about um, how you can um, focus on national priorities, which is right to focus on national priorities, uh, but equally balance that with ensuring that there are um, policies um, that are relevant and appropriate uh, for the local community as well. It strikes me that there's a core theme here of wanting to make a difference, of encouraging people to grow. It's clear as well from what you were saying earlier that your family, your parents particularly, were eager for you to go into the medical profession. At what point did it go from something they wanted to something that was on your own agenda that you wanted to pursue yourself? Well, I I ended up uh, in the NHS by accident i'd applied to be part of this local training scheme and what drove me was getting a job earn a decent wage and have potential to progress in that um, in that career and and if you think about it today 2021 the nhs is a um you know uh, is is a huge uh, uh, employer but it has so many facets um, that it has opportunities for um, uh, many people to craft a a career whether that's a clinical career whether it's a a science career um, nursing career whatever there are a whole number of strings to the NHS bow I think two other factors that uh, were important in that was uh, the family um so uh you know i had a a, a sort of cousin who was a nurse and i think that you know i grew up in a household where um uh the challenges for black people in the 50s both in um the united kingdom the united states were very clear so you know in our household um uh, malcolm x uh, who by the way is, <laughs> whose uh, mother is from the same island as uh, my parents oh, really? uh, the lovely grenada um so malcolm x martin luther king um uh, in in south africa nelson you know there were struggles that um uh, black people across the, the 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 world were seeing and those were conversations so the sense of you know joining uh, an organization uh, wasn't going to be without challenge so yeah. i it, it was always clear um and um I think that that drive uh, was about, you know, if you get in, you have to stand your ground. And yeah. um, uh, uh, so all of that was in the kind of DNA. And as I say, I, I you know, um, went in, there was um, uh, quite direct racism uh, and that racism still exists today. Uh, you just look at 2021, whether it's football, whether it's the most recent Yorkshire uh, cricket uh, inquiry, 
um, uh, you know, you name it, the report that the government issued a few um, uh, uh, months ago, which was was really um, orchestrated to to suggest things were okay, weren't really, you know, things were getting better. Well, clearly they're not getting better. So roll back, you know, uh, forty years, and these these things about you know racism exists don't think you're going to go into the nhs and it will be all fine uh, my parents knew what it was like i mean i remember my mother saying that if she was sitting next to a white person on the train or the bus you know she would get looks or somebody would walk past and make a comment whether you know we like to hear it or not that's how it was i i guess you know for my children who you know are uh, british and born here um they didn't see all of that but they certainly know what uh, nuanced racism is because these days it's not you know, you're not called the N-word in your face or uh, whatever you, you, you might do. You might get it on social media or uh, whatever. But it was prevalent uh, uh, in the um, 60s and 70s. And so it's important that you use that um, that to drive wanting to, you know, live in a world where where people treat one another with uh, uh, respect. I don't, you know, I don't expect people to always agree with me, but that doesn't mean that uh, uh, they shouldn't treat me with respect as I would do then. It's testament to your character, John, that you took such negative experiences and put them towards something so positive in terms of the actions you've been taking. Where do you see things going in the UK and the NHS in regards to racism? That's a very good question. Uh, and I have to say, and, and, and this sounds um, uh, less than optimistic, but um, the UK is um, going backwards at the moment in terms of uh, race. And, and why would I say that? Well, uh, I've used two sporting analogies. So the recent um, uh, Yorkshire Cricket Club, uh, where they sort of classed um racism as well just banter uh, so you know let's move on it was just banter um so in the boardrooms of um uh, a lot of uh, not just sporting uh, institutions but um uh, corporate ones as well uh, there is a distinct lack of diversity at uh, at leadership level uh, the country whether you know people accept has lurched um, to a much more right-wing um, uh, 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 style. Now, whatever one's views about Brexit, um, uh, you know, part of that was about immigration, whether we like it or not. And in this case, Eastern Europe. Um, uh, and, and, and the question of free movement. And it's quite acceptable, you know, I think um, for some politicians, uh, uh, Farage was uh, part of that to, you know, talk quite um, uh, uh, openly about, um, uh, as did Margaret Thatcher when, um, you know, uh, about being swamped and so forth. So the point is that these things, rather than... Um, a one-off uh, or, or occasional are, are suggesting a country that um, uh, doesn't yet feel comfortable with um, diversity uh, and not just a country, I'm talking about uh, within the country, mm -hmm. uh, august institutions that, that don't feel uh, particularly comfortable uh, about uh, diversity. But what they don't reckon with is that the young children uh, of diverse backgrounds are British mm. and um, they will have a very different um, perspective about how things should be. And a lot of them will know the experiences of their parents and their grandparents. 
and and the fact that um, uh, uh, more black history is uh, being taught in schools uh, and um, you know uh, we we see a lot in the press about you know gangs and black people being associated with gangs and killing one another but in in the same token there are many uh, black and brown young people who are achieving doing very well uh, in all uh, walks of um, uh, society whether it's law whether it's medicine uh, whatever it might be and I think um, uh, uh, you know that isn't being picked up or or, or built upon. So on the one hand, whilst I'm saying to you that um, the country is a country, and and I think that has to do with leadership, um, is um, not speaking up uh, about these issues because it's not the narrative that uh, certainly the current government wants to uh, talk about. Um, uh, But uh, I think there's a a grassroots build-up of young people. And I think some of that, not all of it, but some of it was driven by um, the killing, and that's what it was, uh, the killing of George Floyd. Um, uh, So I think those things are are, are beginning to add to a challenge that, just as there was a challenge in our parents' day and they stood up with it, it's another different type of challenge that uh, young people and older people are are wanting to make sure that you know we don't lapse back into um, those dark days again and I think you know the black history uh, point um, uh, is important because you know I remember talking to a young person who who said that they were surprised at how many important historical um, things involve him black people whitewash over centuries and uh, some of that is is coming to uh, uh, to light now so i think on the one hand it's less than optimistic about the direction and leadership uh, of the country on the issue of uh, race i think that will be and is being challenged by the younger generation as it was you know in the 50s and the 60s you know there's always a challenge it's a different type of challenge now but uh, that challenge is there the nhs well you asked about the nhs as well the nhs when i was uh, in the nhs i was in a club called the less than one percent club because uh, there were uh, less than one percent of us who were from a diverse um, black or brown heritage and uh, i think the nhs is changing but it's incredibly, incredibly slow. Uh, So it is changing for the better and, you know, it'd be um, churlish to to kind of hark back to uh, some of the days and my own experience. But it's slow. And I also think that part of the reason it's slow is that it needs more high-level leadership to speak up and enable those changes to move at a more rapid pace. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at a very large global company uh, for an event um, uh, for Black History Month, and uh, I was talking to a very switched-on um, uh, director of that company, and uh, and uh, one of the comments he made with me said, look, our clients are looking to us to be diverse. So there's a business imperative for some companies to be more diverse. If you look at all the FTSE 100 companies, you can probably count on one hand, if you're lucky, um, that that diverse leadership. And then if you even then delve a bit uh, deeper into that in terms of boards, non-executive directors, executive directors, the numbers will be small. And that takes me back to um, the point uh, about regression. So when, um, you know, the government issued that 
really dreadful report about race and disparities. It was so trying to paint a picture that things were much better in the UK than they were in other parts of the world. Well, that's not good enough. <laughs> um, it needs to, to show that there is real change and there's an appetite for change. And sadly, that's what uh, uh, that sort of leadership is uh, distinctly lacking uh, at the moment. So how have you seen a way that you can have an influence? What is your role in terms of tackling and facing uh, the issues that we have had and continue to have? Throughout my career in the NHS, in the Department of Health and uh, Social Care, uh, it was always driven by wanting to make a difference and wanting to make a difference for everybody, not just a particular group or the majority population, which is linked to my point is if you're managing a a hospital in Bradford or the Midlands or London, you're going to have diverse workforce, you're going to have diverse patients and you should really take time to uh, make sure uh, that that diversity is understood and also in my view reflected in the leadership of the organization Uh, there's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't be the case so for me it it's always been about making a difference Um, and I think that um, you know I've been lucky to have had um, good mentors and this is me giving a sort of big up to uh, mentorship because throughout my career I've always sought advice from um, people who were good leaders and people who were able to guide me in a in a, in a trusted way because not you know there'd be some people out there that you work with who would uh, stab you in the back without any concerns uh, uh, whatsoever so uh, mentorship is important I think I'll I'll give you an example about sickle and um, why so in the last last six months we've been undertaking an inquiry into the care that people who live with sickle cell receive in hospital um, in gathering that evidence we've talked to people who live with a condition we've talked to people who care for family members who live with a condition we've talked to doctors we've talked to nurses we've talked to corporate organizations and overwhelmingly what's come out of that inquiry is that people don't get the best care um, something we knew more worryingly is that people have died as a consequence of not getting uh, the right care so in other words you know we're dealing with um, a proportion of uh, preventable deaths when you roll back further and say, well, well, why are they not getting the care? Whether they are in, you know, a hospital that's been treating people with sickle cell for decades or a hospital with small numbers of uh, sickle cell patients, what comes through is a... So this is where, uh, point this one to the NHS, this is where the NHS have neglected this condition over many decades. So what I mean by that is that um, the neglect is partly, well, this is, is not so important, uh, so we're not going to invest in it in, um, uh, in, in the way that we might invest for services that, let's say, the majority population or the Anglo-Saxon population uh, might uh, suffer from. So for what's come out from the, from the NHS perspective is they're absolutely neglected. From an industry perspective, and by industry I'm talking about pharmaceutical companies and research and development, a complete lack of research and development in terms of finding new disease-modifying treatments or uh, over many, many decades. That's changing. So if, if you know, an industry person was listening to me now, they'll say, oh, yeah, no, that, that, that was true probably 10 years ago, uh, but not anymore. And, and that's true. Things are changing. But what's the evidence for that? So one licensed treatment for sickle cell, there's now two because in the last month, uh, NICE and NHS England, NICE being the National Institute of Clinical Excellence and NHS England have agreed uh, a second one. Uh, but if you can compare that to um, the treatments that have been approved uh, by 
uh, NICE and NHS England for cystic fibrosis. Now, I make no criticism of cystic fibrosis. They're a great organisation. Uh, I know the chief executive, and, and it's a challenging condition. Uh, but actually, 96, 97% of the, that, that population um, is of an Anglo-Saxon heritage, whereas in contrast, sickle is essentially um, a black and brown, you know, there are people who are not um, uh, non-black with uh, sickle, but um, if you compare the two for cystic fibrosis, um, you know, there's well over, um, you know, 10 new <laughs> treatments for uh, uh, sickle cell license. So, so you have to identify when that the, there are health disparities uh, or health inequalities whichever way you want to um, describe it but what you have to think about well why is that why is that and I'm saying to you and it's controversial some people disagree with me whether it's industry although industry training whether it's the NHS it's because it takes us back to prioritize things we're of a lesser order uh, and it's to do with race so and and that's come out not because we've engineered it to come out this is what patients and clinicians uh, have told us and uh, we hopefully will be producing that uh, report in the next week or so but fundamentally all those things lead back to leadership. So whether you are the prime minister of a country, uh, whether you're the chief executive of an NHS organisation, the chief executive of a large, you have to provide leadership on the topic, be seen to be making a difference, which is why making a difference is so important. You look at companies like Nike, it could be any company, but actually they make a lot of money on inverted commas, black culture, whether, you know, that's clothing, apparel, whatever. They speak up about Black Lives Matter, but are they doing the things in their organisation to ensure that the organisation is diverse? So it's not only, you know, public sector organisations. And, 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 and I say all roads lead back to leadership. And if the leadership isn't there that says it's right that we are a diverse organisation. It's right that we have uh, diversity at all levels in the organisation. I think we will struggle. But as I said to you earlier, I think that whether it's um, black power salutes in Olympic Games uh, compared to taking the knee at the moment, but history shows they're not going to be tolerated to be treated in a different way. And they're going to call out when organisations say things but don't do things that uh, improve diversity. So what are your thoughts, John, on taking the knee? I'm... I'm Going back to the Black Power salute, I think taking the knee is perfectly appropriate. And I think that, you know, a lot of people who aren't comfortable with it are the people who either um, don't recognise the um, failings, and that's what they are, they're failings and challenges. You know, I don't think it's acceptable um, that, um, you know, uh, any Black or Asian footballer is abused. You know, I remember as a child watching a young West Ham uh, chap called Clyde Best. He, he, he received the most the most outrageous uh, abuse, and, and he wasn't the only one. Um, so I think that um, uh, uh, taking the knee is perfectly uh, uh, appropriate. And... Um, uh, you know, it came from Colin Kaepernick uh, uh, in 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 the states, and and I think you have to remember why he wanted to do that. He he wanted to make a gesture so that people uh, realise, and he was vilified for it. Um, you know, vilified for it by the then president of the United States. Um, <laughs> you know, who on the one hand vilified him, but says, look what I'm doing for black people. Um, you know, I mean, it's an oxymoron um, to say the least. What do you consider, John, to be key elements of being a good leader? So that's a good question. I mean, I think um, good leadership is about leaving a sustainable legacy. Um, and uh, that 
is one of the things that I feel is important and, and sustainable legacy because you can leave legacies that uh, are, are dismantled or eaten away over time. But a good leader um, leaves um, really sustainable um, legacies. Uh, he or she needs to have their ear to the ground um, and, uh, you know, walk the talk. I mean, it's you, you can be quite um, uh, uh, isolated from, um, you know, what the the general gist of the day is. And a good example, a good example um, is the recent uh, scandal about Owen Patterson, for example. Um, now, if you talk to the man on the Clappenombus or the woman on the Clappenombus and you say, look, um, uh, let's find a way to um, uh, keep Owen Patterson in, 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 in um, uh, not having his suspension and let's change the rules at the same time um most people said well <laughs> why would you do that that would be mad but you know um mps were whipped they were whipped to vote this way uh, and then 24 hours later um or probably a bit more oh gosh we better change our mind that is an example of not understanding, being divorced from what ordinary people think, and ordinary people including other MPs as well, I put into that category. So that is that is an example of really crass and poor leadership, which is why I say it's important as a leader also to um, have your ear to the ground, have a vision um, and take counsel and, and, and balance um, uh, the right decision and, and, and be able to make a difficult decision because I think it is uh, probably in the current climate more difficult to stand up for diversity than it is to go with the naysayers who say, oh, yeah, no, no, this, this isn't as important as everything else. So you have to be, as a leader, be able to stand up and make the difficult decisions. How would you say your leadership is having an impact? My leadership is having an impact largely because uh, when I joined the Sickle Cell Society, it was going, you know, it's a great organisation, has been for um, uh, many years, but it's bereft of funds when I joined it and um, uh, it, 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 was, it was lacking a degree of leadership at all levels. Um, so where we have made a difference is, you know, our organisation has an operating budget that is less than £800,000. So we're not even, uh, a, you know, we're, we're, we're a small organisation financially. Uh, but I can tell you, it feels at times that we play in the Champions League with the, um, you know, with the, with, with the big charities. And that is because, you know, over those eight years, we have... Um, uh, improved our credibility not only with people who live with sickle cell um, but also um, other organizations other institutions like nhs england like public health england um, you know we're, we're, we're a force to be reckoned with people pay attention and and, and there there have also been significant policy changes uh, that we have enabled, um, you know, such as adult uh, transplantation and um, uh, and the new second treatment that's been uh, licensed by um, NHS England. So uh, I think there are a combination of characteristics there, Mark, and some of those characteristics are about delivering things, doing things, make which make a difference to um, the way in which uh, uh, people who live with the condition experience uh, services uh, and there's still more to do so that i mentioned the inquiry report and there's still more to do uh, so one of those characteristics is about delivering things that uh, make a difference that are visible not only to the policy wonks but the um, ordinary on the street uh, and i think the other issue is this point about um, credibility and managing upwards, whether that's managing upwards to government, to the institutions that make the policy, like NHS England, Nursing Midwifery Council, Public Health England, etc., Department of Health and Social Care, but actually 
um, being listened to because we're credible, we know what we're saying, and actually we are highlighting uh, and shining a light on um, the disparities and health inequalities that exist for this group. You can't hide from that. If you are a man, woman, child, politician, you can't hide from that fact. When you say, well, why is it that um, this is the experience of this group of people compared to the experience of this group of people who happen to be of, you know, um, different heritage? You know, what's the answer to that? Is it by accident? Answer, no. You mentioned mentoring. Could you unpack that a little bit more? Well, I I look back, Mark, on my career and I think I've been um, very lucky um, to have worked out that the fight, and that's my terms because it was like a fight, uh, the fight to progress and succeed uh, wasn't going to be won by the John James one-member army. Um, And I had to reach out to trusted uh, colleagues, uh, friends, and others who uh, were in organisations to um, have that counsel and advice about managing complex uh, situations. And uh, so I've been lucky to um, have that in my career. And one of the things I learned um, when you're when you're progressing in your career, uh, it isn't always about the job. So this might be this fantastic job, uh, and it looks really well. But it's about the organisation as well. So if you get a fantastic job, uh, but you're actually working with people whose values and uh, way in which they treat people is not good, then it might not be the best place for you to uh, to go. So the membership and understanding cultures of organisations that you're joining um, is uh, really important because you'll know, certainly when it comes to diversity and race, what the reputation of that um, organisation is. You, you, you know, you go and talk to um, a porter uh, or, you know, a cleaner, they'll, 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 they'll give you a good sense of um, uh, uh, the the, the organisation. But in addition to um, uh, mentoring, there's also things like learning sets. So I was involved in a learning set for, uh, for a number of years with some very, very influential people as part of another training programme uh, that I did. So um, I, you know, commend uh, what you're doing with um, uh, uh, CB mentoring in your own um, space uh, because it can make a difference. And and I think some people find it hard uh, because it's like, uh, you know, it's, it, it, you know, some people feel, no, I can deal with this myself. But I think mentoring adds um, a different lens uh, different counsel and I think good mentoring makes you think doesn't give you always the answers mm-hmm. doesn't say well you have to do it like this um, uh, but it it's it, it, it should allow you to think through um, the dilemma and and think it through to a logical uh, conclusion so um, good job on what you're doing mentoring because I think uh, whether you're in the private public um, sector or the education sector you know you, you you're you're doing your uh, exams mentorship and um, uh, learning sets can uh, make a very positive difference thank you and that's nice of you to mention that I, I think um, just one of the things that has really struck me regarding mentoring at CB Mentoring um, based in Cambridge, the thing that struck me is actually it's not always just the formal things. It's, it's, the, it's the conversations that are had um, just over a drink, you know, a coffee or something where someone who's been in a similar situation and you just sort of have a passing conversation and it's only like you could be years later that you realize an impact that's had on someone's life. You know, you think back to perhaps when you were younger and you met someone and you were going through a difficult situation and they were able to input or just a sort of side remark that they may have said. 
and it really can switch your focus. So I think what we share and 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 uh, how we interact with people is so important. I agree with you, Mark. I think the challenge of that, though, is the last twenty months of the pandemic, because I think I think those water cooler moments or um you know having a drink with somebody to you know uh, or a coffee or whatever it might be i think those are important uh, and 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 the pandemic has changed the way in which we you know uh, interact um uh, at, at the moment um so but i agree with you i think those things uh, uh, are are very important as it is you see one of the things about um uh, leadership my, and this goes back to kind of my parents is that as you progress up the greasy pole and you think you might be very senior and you're you know um uh in circles of the great and the good don't ever 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 forget where you came from i you know i know who i am i know where i was born i know the struggles that i went through that my parents went through and um you know and and it goes all the way through history don't forget where you you come from yeah. and use that to inform um, the future use that to inform the future this is that's why I remember you know I, 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 I worked for a top um, teaching hospital which I, I won't mention but I remember when I started there when I started there um, my conversations, were not just with the directors and the, uh, the, 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 the people who ran the organisation. I talked to the cooks in the kitchen, I talked to the cleaners, I talked to the porters, I talked to nurses, and all of that gives you a rich intelligence about, uh, about because you'll be told by your peers at a very senior level, this is, you know, we're, we're a great organisation, this is, you know, how we do things. You talk to other people and, 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 and it helps you, um, validate some of what has been said or not as the case may be so so I think that's important um, as well um, so you, you did sort of mention about future so what does your future hold what what's your your uh, dream for the future what are your next steps do you have any plans goals that you <laughs> I mentioned uh, the great uncle Rupert who sadly uh, passed away uh, earlier this year um, in Washington um, and he had a great tribute from Howard University um, which was great because you know the country's vice president is an alumni from Howard whom he, he knew um, but um, uh, one of the things that he did when he retired was that uh, he had a home in the island where I was born Grenada and he spent six months of uh, the year in Grenada sort of doing some kind of you know, teaching at the medical school there, uh, and then um, uh, spending his summers back in the United States in uh, Washington. And so my, one of my dreams is to, you know, as I slowly wind down, um, that I eventually spend more time uh, in Grenada. Uh, and because uh, one of the things I notice as I get older, I feel the cold more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to play football, rugby in cold weather, do, you know, um, uh, cross-country runs at school in the cold weather. But as I get older, oof, um, I definitely feel the cold. So, you know, one one of my aspirations is, is simply spending more time uh, in Grenada with the family that are still out there and um, just uh, uh, enjoying the um, enjoying my life. That that sounds like a good plan. So I'd ask you if there was uh, an interesting fact, one interesting fact that you'd like to share and most proud of. What would it be? Gosh, that's uh, that's a really that's a really good question. I'm thinking uh, about it, and um, I guess, and this might sound a little trite, but it's true, so I'm being very honest with you. Um, I, I'm effectively a descendant of a slave, uh, and I'm very clear about my history. Uh, both my parents died before um, 
I uh, was honoured by the Queen. And yes, it's, uh, you know, it's it's empire and it's colonial. But I have to say that um, when I was named to be given an honour, when that envelope came through, I would just thought, gosh, I wish my mum and dad were... Um, alive and my grandparents were alive because if you'd ask them would would john james uh, ever be honored uh, by the queen they'd say, <laughs> they would say are you having a laugh <laughs> what, on earth, what on earth are you saying so um it isn't a fact about me but it it, it is something that um i just want to say that uh, my four bearers um uh would have been would have not um would have not uh, thought that that was even possible thank you um so one of the things that we do on here is asking people to kind of share their favorite five what is your favorite song or piece of music and why I've got I, I've got lots of music. I'm a bit of a music fan. I've got a music collection that is wonderful, and I'm uh, quite a lot. I can think of uh, some Dennis Brown tunes. I can think of Gregory Isaac tunes, Bob Marley, Big Youth. Let me see what was very formative that you know I would still listen today. And I have to say, one of my favourite songs, it's not the favourite, one of my favourites is Natty Dread by Bob Marley. Because it was in my formative years, uh, although uh, my head is now completely bald, uh, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I did have uh, Natty Dread in my youth and it was a kind of call, a call to action as mm. far as um i recall and and and, and it, it it was an important an important tune there are lots of other tunes that you know as i say dennis uh gregory um and others but uh uh you know and 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 big youth as well so these are formative mm. things that have 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 been part of my character growing up mm. and still with me today yeah Thank you. Yeah, I mean, m music is is such a, a major influence on many people, and I think to to try and drill it down to one song is not like. But it's interesting how uh, it's so influential, and how a song, uh, any particular period of history, it resonates. You know. Correct. Um, so, Correct. leading on to the next one, give me a hero or at least a person you admire. Who would that be? And that's another good one. I I I have to say, Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. I uh, um, uh, and and the reason why not because there's a Grenadian connection, um, which my mother uh, told me about. If you think of the conversation we've just had, Mark, some of the themes that I mentioned about the challenges of yesteryear and the challenges today. Mm -hmm are about young people and the ability to stand up and have a voice. And, of course, Martin was a, 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 a great man as well, Martin Luther King. But in a sense, Malcolm was saying, I'm not going to put up <laughs> with it. And, uh, yes, we can do things through peaceful means, but actually, you know, we have to fight as well. Um, and actually... You know, even making the connection with um, some of the songs that I grew up with, it was about um, standing your ground. I have enormous respect for what Malcolm did. Mm. It's interesting as well, as you're saying, certainly, and by no means am I claiming to be an expert, um, but certainly from Dr. King's point of view later on in sort of his years just before his assassination his last speech which was not actually delivered was much more towards that side and indeed Malcolm X I know sort of Lattie's he was toning down off yes. some of the rhetoric he was using so they're both kind of nearer to one another so to speak. nearer to one another you're absolutely right absolutely right and and I guess you also have to remember Mark in those days it was awful. And whether it was my father's generation being chased around by teddy boys and all of that, it was terrible. And if you didn't stand up for yourself, yeah. you you know, you could be dead. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you. So another thing, which certainly for me is very important, food. If you were to distill that down to one thing, what would that be? Well, I, I listen, I grown up, and I, I must make this point to my grandmother and my uh, great aunt, because uh, you may not know this much, but in the, in the Caribbean, you may know it, in the Caribbean, that generation, I'm talking about my grandparents and, 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 and their parents, used to cook with cold pots. So there's no gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, and Mark, I have to tell you, those women, because they were mainly women, men cooked as well, but they were mainly women, were the most amazing, amazing cooks with limited resources. They used to cook the most beautiful dishes. So I've grown up uh, very much with um, uh, Caribbean food uh, all my life, and today it is still it's still important to me, and um, uh, and I enjoy it very much. And I particularly like fish. Fish escovish is one of my uh, favorite favorite dish, as is salt fish, salted cod, uh, done in different ways. I have to say, I've grown up as a child in the in Grenada. Uh, today um uh, it's still one of my favorites but i think the difference is now i have a much more eclectic range of range of food which i enjoy but i said to you in conversations about leadership that uh, you must never forget where you come from as a leader and what that means to your character and what you want for the organization i don't leave my food behind from my history Absolutely. Absolutely. Good answer. Okay, so the next one is place. What would be your favourite place? It's a place called Mumplazy in the island of Grenada. There's lots of um, places that have kind of um, quasi-French names. And Mumplazer is uh, the village that I come from in St. John's, uh, Grand Roy St. John's, uh, and it's up in the hills, um, and it is the most beautiful place just to chill out, just to have uh, a lovely breeze. The sea is uh, down the road, and I have to tell you, when you when you just want to chill, reflect, think, read, um, with probably a beer in your hand, or if you, you know, um, uh, don't drink a, 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 a soft drink, that's the place to be. Sounds idyllic. Okay, and then finally, you can choose a book, film, or video game. Which would be your favourite? Would be your go-to? Well, uh, it would have to be a film. I watched in the last week a film called The Harder They Fall with Idris Elba, Regina King, and um, uh, some other great actors. And I have to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed it because uh, it's the most recent one that uh, I've seen. Not only was um, the storytelling very good, but it's the first time, apart from a few others in the sort of noughties and 2000, where there was a story about blackout boys. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really 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 interesting so that's what i would pick because it's fresh in my mind and uh, i remember saying to my daughter after i seen it, i said have you seen the heart of they fall i was quite impressed with it and she said no but i'm gonna watch it <laughs> well thank you john i i to be honest i could uh sit here listening to you all day and um i really appreciate your candor and being you know giving up Uh, some time in your busy schedule to, to have a conversation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Until next time, remember, help people feel valued. Listen, don't just hear.